As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Millennial Mental Health Channel, where a psychiatrist and a therapist discuss mental health. Each episode will look at a different topic, things like anxiety, depression, and personality disorders. We'll share our thoughts and experiences on the topic, show people that they should not feel ashamed to have mental health problems, and encourage them to speak up when they need help. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoy. Justin and I get it. As mental health professionals, we understand the importance of having a self-care routine, but we aren't even that great at sticking to one. Life can get in the way, whether it's business at work or things popping up in our personal lives. Sticking to a routine is tough. One of the best ways of reaching goals is to have a supportive friend trying to meet similar goals and staying accountable to each other. Sometimes it's hard to find that partner. Friends and family might go a little too easy on us or just the opposite. We take their tough love too personally. That is where Supporty comes in. The app connects you to a partner to help you reach your goals through the convenience of your cell phone. Supporty finds you an accountability partner for a week at a time, and it's a whole system to help you get the encouragement you need to stick to your goals. There's no more swiping through profiles or awkward opening lines. We're looking at you, Tinder. <laughs> Supporty handles that for you so you can get the support simply and quickly from someone who cares. I know that when I have a friend or a furry friend to exercise with, I'm more likely to stick to my goals and really push myself. Same goes for trying to maintain healthy lifestyle changes. The cool thing about working with a partner is that you get to feel good twice when you achieve your own goals and when you help someone else achieve theirs too. So follow the link in our show notes or on our social media pages to get started today with your free two-week trial. Supporty, the accountability app. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Millennial Mental Health Channel, episode 40. Thank you guys so much for, for keeping up with us this long. Uh, I'm here as always with my good friend and co-host, Dr. Justin Romano. Dr. Romano, how are we doing today? I'm quite good, sir. How are you doing? Good, good. I wanted to uh, do a quick shout out. You know, I, <clears throat> I just started teaching again uh, this semester, this summer term, uh, and I had a really good class recently just about, I'm teaching group dynamics, uh, and I left, and I'm doing it over Zoom. Like, this is uncharted territory, so we always love teachers on the show, but even more, shout out to teachers trying to have been doing this for the last year. Uh, but I just left class the other day feeling like so like hyped and reminding uh, and re reminded of how much like I enjoy teaching and teaching the, the future of therapy. So <laughs> I just wanted to shout that out. I, I, I don't plan on mentioning this to my students just cause I don't want to do like a weird plug of like, Oh, it's like the professors that make you buy their book 
in the class. Like that's so weird to mm-hmm. me. Uh, I don't yeah. want to do that. But if at any point they do end up finding the show, I just want them to know that I love them and I care about them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel like uh, I've had a lot of the um, Creighton medical students here in Omaha uh, tell me that they've they've listened to the show, and I've had a couple of PA students here in Omaha too tell nice. me that. So, like, if you're listening, thank you so much. It means the world <laughs> to us. Um, it's so cool to to see that this actually um, does help. Um, also, just wanted to shout out. Um, ooh, I, I won't mention any specific names, but someone uh, wrote a Facebook post um, and said that that this podcast really helped them and really encouraged them to start online therapy. This was a new mother uh, who was going through some postpartum depression issues, um, and she uh, reached out to me and sent me a message and um, was asking about like online therapy. So I, I said, "Hey, it can't hurt. You know, go for yeah. it. it. It could really help." And it sounds like it's been immensely helpful to her. So that literally made me cry like quite a bit. I was just like, that is so cool. That, that makes the past year and a half worth it. Just the fact that her life was made a little bit better. So we love hearing those stories. If, if this, if this podcast um, touches you at all in a, in an appropriate way, um, please, please tell us it's the coolest thing in the world for us to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Any feedback? I, I remember seeing that. And I think, um, feedback like that is super cool. I mean, we already, I think we, we have jobs that we feel are, are fulfilling, but being able to do this like separately as a, as a, like a passion project, I think it's really cool to, to get feedback like that and really um, validating in a sense of just like, yeah, this is, this is helpful. Exactly. Well, there's no great way to introduce this topic. Um, it's kind of a sad one, kind of a downer, but it's something that we're passionate about and it's something that we want to try and, and change in this world, try and see if we can reduce it. And that is child abuse. Um, it's something, especially uh, I've had a child clinic this year uh, where I've gotten to work with uh, young kids and it just the amount of kids that I see who go through with just the most awful things in the world really opened my eyes to how prevalent this is mm-hmm. and how many people in this world have to go through these kind of things. Or I should say have to, but do go through these things. Yeah. So we wanted to do an episode on it. Trauma and childhood trauma is one of those things where, uh, and I'll, I'll probably touch on it as we get into the episode, but it's one of those things that I feel like is, is downplayed. Like certain things are, are not considered trauma that I, I don't think people often realize. Like even things like mm-hmm. neglect and like, oh, like my parents used to do that with me and I turned out fine. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean it was okay. You know what I mean? Like, I remember in grad school, there was a time where uh, it was talked about, and I think this was like, it wasn't too long ago, but I think even more literature and, and research has come out since then. But the the question was asked of like, you know, spanking your kids or, or, you know, disciplining your kids. Like, is that something you would do? And I remember thinking like, I mean, sorry, mom and dad. I mean, I love you guys, but like, you know, we, we got, you know, punished once in a while <laughs> here and there, you know, a little spank here and there, whatever, whatever utensil was used. Uh, and I, I think I came out fine, but I just remember thinking at the time, like, I mean, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And I, and I'm not ashamed to like admit that, like at that point, I didn't think too much about it, but now seeing how much that can actually like impact somebody and like literally change like their brain chemistry and like their yeah. physical, parts of their brain and realizing like that's actually not okay just because like i i quote turned out fine or you turned out fine or you know these kids are soft now whatever the hell you want to say like just because it worked for you doesn't mean it works at all so i think one thing we did really want to highlight today is just like 
the unfortunate prevalence of it, uh, the impacts that it has on people. We want to normalize for people who have have been through these things that you're not alone and that help is out there and that, you know, we're here to support you and there are ways that you can get support. Um, we really just want to shed some light on it. It's, I think it's important that we try to use this, this platform, this community as much as, as we can, you know, the small little community that we have, we want to, we want to use it in the right way. Uh, yeah. Excellent point there. And we'll talk on, or we'll touch on this a little bit more later too, but yeah, as a, as a general rule, um, we know now that spanking and corporal punishment for bad behavior for children just increases their risk of, um, being physical towards other people in the future and, and being the perpetrator of physical violence in the future. So that's generally why as a mental health profession, we say, don't spank your kids. It's not recommended anymore. So let's jump into story time. And I touched on this a little bit before, but um, my story is I, I've, I've got a lot of patients who kind of follow this same sort of pattern, the same story, um, where they essentially grow up in uh, meth houses or, or houses where drugs are heavily used, be it uh, opioids or it's, it's a lot of meth, especially out here in Omaha, Nebraska, mm-hmm. um, you know, middle America where there's lots of meth. Um, the environment for these kids growing up is very hectic. Parents are often in the process of doing, obtaining, or recovering uh, from drugs, which leaves their kids very vulnerable to abuse or neglect. Uh, kids end up missing doctor's appointments, school. Uh, they miss out on social interactions with other kids their age. Uh, oftentimes, these kids have to be the adult in their adult-child relationship because there's no responsible adult taking care of them, and they're just kids. You know, I've had... Um, kids whose parents were alcoholics uh, and you know these these parents were you know puking all over themselves and their kids were the ones cleaning up after them you know like seven or eight year old kids I mean, just really tough experiences that they have to go through and what tends to happen is that the parents end up you know going to jail or going to prison especially in the meth uh, type houses which catapults these kids into the foster care system and often kids don't have those basic social skills um, developed already. And so they're already behind. And so in the foster care system, they've got so much ground to catch up on. Um, and sometimes they don't really ever fully catch up on that ground because they've gone through so much trauma or witnessed so much or, or so much neglect. Um, and so these kids get their world just turned upside down uh, when their parents end up uh, losing custody of them. And it just creates such an uphill battle for them to, to have to try and overcome throughout their entire lives. For me, similar to you, Justin, I think and you bring up really good points as far as like the um, – you have like an uphill battle to now fight. I mean life is already – there's a lot of things that make it difficult, but you get these kids that like – have so much more put in front of them that they have to try to get over or like get past obstacles, different things that, that get in their way. Um, your point of the the kids now are the ones that are responsible because of parents or caregivers that can't really care for them. And I think back of like, when you said that, I think back to how many teens in the past have I said like, wow, you're so responsible. Like you, you take care of things by yourself. Like you come to your appointments and not realizing like, they have no other choice. Like that's just yeah. what their reality is. The reality is that like, if I don't do this, nobody else is going to do it for me. So like, I have to do it even though I'm 14 years old and I go to the middle school down the street. Like I have to, to do this on the, on my own. And I think mm. um, for me thinking about more, since you've, you've said that thinking back to my last job as a, in, in community mental health. And um, we, we worked with 
95% of our, our clients were on like the Oregon health plan and like the, the state insurance and seeing how that population compares to the population that I now work with, you know, with this, this big hospital system that I work at and seeing the difference in history, like the H and P right history and physical, all that kind of stuff, like seeing how different it is in this, like, quote, prestigious hospital system that, you know, takes private insurance and is able to kind of like screen out more of the the patients that they see compared to the community mental health clinic where it's, you know, we see everybody where the, the community mental health clinic, we have that grant, we're supposed to see everybody. And now thinking back to like, when I was doing intake assessments and seeing how much these, these kids were telling me at the community mental health clinic, nine out of 10, eight out of 10 of the kids had some type of trauma, abuse, neglect history that they dealt with. And now seeing kids, you know, in this more um, private insurance related system of like, they're not really dealing with that. And like these kids have like a different, you know, set of uh, experiences and seeing how, how different that is. And honestly, this is just coming to my mind as like we're speaking right now. It's crazy to think about how much the, the population you work with it can can change from one uh, clinic to another, and how much like a lot of these kids are not being served as they should be. Yeah, you know, a lot of kids just based on their uh, demographics uh, don't have the same access to care that other kids might. Mm-hmm. So let's jump into some stats and facts, and these are from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration or SAMHSA. Mm-hmm. Uh, this number blew my mind. Twenty or two out of three kids uh, report a traumatic event by the age of sixteen, and I think we we're kind of using child abuse and trauma a little bit interchangeably on this episode. And there is a difference there. There is a distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, two thirds of children experience something traumatic by the age of sixteen. That's it. Just blew my mind that it was well over half. Yeah, I think the hard part too is just as you get older, you kind of just stop thinking about the kids. You stop thinking about things that they go through and like mm-hmm. things they have access to. Like we, it's a, it's a group of kids that are growing up with the supercomputer in their pocket. Like we talk about, and they have access to information and know things that they probably shouldn't know that we didn't know when we were their age and just how much of a, a stressful environment they have. Um, going back to your two thirds number, this includes categories of uh, psychological abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, school or community violence, witnessing domestic violence, uh, natural disasters or terrorism, uh, commercial sexual exploitation, sudden or violent loss of a loved one, uh, refugee or war experiences, military family related stressors, physical or sexual assault, neglect, uh, and serious or life threatening accidents or illnesses. And one of the main points we want to hammer home here is that neglect is actually the most common form of, uh, of trauma for children. And this is a huge thing because when kids are being neglected, especially at that really young age, they're missing out on so many learning opportunities. They're not getting the language exposure. They're not learning the basics of math. They're not getting the human development and the bonds that you have to develop to be a functional member of society. It's hard to get that back once you're past a certain age. Yeah. Yeah. And you start to see how in different age groups, it starts to impact them in different ways. So if we're looking specifically at like preschool age children, uh, you have things like separation, anxiety, crying and screaming spells, uh, decrease in appetite, weight loss, nightmares. There's the, um, Oh, what is the famous, the study done where they, they like film the kids. It was like the, 
uh, unfamiliar situation or something like that where they would like test like attachments uh, with mm-hmm. kids and baby with babies specifically and just see like how they would react depending on like if they had a secure attachment with the person that brought them in they would react in a different way if they had a um, an anxious attachment you know they would react and, and just seeing like how much um, something like that early on, you know, we don't think about it enough impacts their ability to function just even in like that fall, that small, you know, five, 10 minute um, experience that they had, like while being studied. Yeah. That relationship with the primary caregiver, which usually ends up being the mother sets you up for your relationship for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a situation where mom is really inconsistent, she's really unreliable. You never know if she's going to be there to comfort you, to help you at a young age when this is all still very subconscious, Mm -hmm. that's going to carry on into your relationships. Well, that I shouldn't say will, but it can carry on into your relationships later in life Mm -hmm. where you're always suspicious in your relationships. Like, will this person leave me? Will they be there when I need them? Uh, So it can have real uh, long-term impacts on a lot of these people. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of elementary school children, uh, oftentimes people who have been uh, exposed to trauma, they have a lot of fearfulness, anxiety, guilt, shame, difficulty concentrating, and difficulty sleeping. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oftentimes trauma is misdiagnosed as ADHD. ADHD Mm -hmm. is just kind of the the bucket that everyone gets thrown into, unfortunately. But if if a child has just experienced a significant trauma, it's going to be hard to focus in school. And so they might think, oh, this kid's got ADHD. And that's Mm -hmm. why it's important to get a like a full evaluation. Um, But even then, it's, it's sometimes hard to pick out that trauma, Mm -hmm. uh, especially if kids have a hard time communicating those things. Mm -hmm. You got to think like how many things are misdiagnosed as ADHD, right? Like there's so many, like it feels like school related. It's like it's 80, it's gotta be ADHD. Or if you look at, um, uh, like the, the juvenile justice, uh, department or community or whatever you want to call it, juvenile justice system. Uh, there's like the, um, like the conduct disorders or things like that. Like it's always that like it's oppositional defiant disorder. Like, no, like let's look into something else. Like, why does it always got to be this one thing? Like, why, why can't we look more, dig deeper and try to really figure out what's going on? So I had one crazy case where, uh, or something that I had uh, read about where, a young person was saying in school, like, I can't concentrate because my desk looks too big. It looks like it's for like a giant mm-hmm. and the person next to me looks really small. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, get this kid an ADHD evaluation. Yeah. Turns out this person or this young person had Alice in Wonderland syndrome where they were having migraines oh. in their visual processing center of their brain, yeah. which made it look like everything was disproportionate in size. And oh, wow. the teacher was just like, yep. Get them checked out for ADHD. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, and, and just looking at our own lives of the optometrists in our life, right? I've heard the yeah. connection of like making sure if, if a kid can't see from the board and like see the board, then they're going to seem distracted and not really pay attention. And like, oh, ADHD, when it's really like, they don't even know what you're writing on the board. <laughs> like, what are we, you know, we got to mm-hmm. do. I think we, and I mean, we'll, we'll, it turns into a system thing and we don't have enough resources. And this, but I think the the best thing we can do with what we have is just trying to educate and, and let people know that there's more to look out for than just ADHD or just, you know, one or two things. There's more to it. Uh, mm-hmm. But back on, back on looking at how it impacts um, 
development in, in different age ranges. Looking at middle and high school, uh, this thing can this can turn into things like feelings of depression or being alone, eating disorders. I mean, something that I work with every single day, um, self harm behavior, drug and alcohol use, and and even risky behaviors. So what's the impact of trauma? Trauma can lead to learning problems, mm-hmm. uh, similar to the ADHD stuff. It can, it can cause difficulty concentrating. Mm-hmm. It can cause decrease in school performance, increase in suspensions and expulsions. Yeah, it, it also can cause an increased use of health and mental health services. There's an increased risk for developing an SPMI, so a severe and persistent mental illness. Uh, there's also increased involvement uh, with the child welfare and juvenile justice systems. Uh, I do want to go back a little bit to what I just said as far as increased use of health and mental health systems. Um increased risk of developing a, a SPMI. I just listened. I know this, this guy's one of your favorites, Justin, uh, but I just listened to the episode, uh, Dr. Pewter, uh, of psychiatry and psychotherapy. He talked about, uh, borderline personality disorder. And in it, they do have a, a small piece where they talk about like t- childhood trauma and how that can be a like risk factor for developing, uh, borderline personality disorder. It's not the end all be all. There's people who didn't really have traumatic experiences that do develop BP. PD, uh, but just talking about how like it could be something trauma could lead to something like uh, borderline personality disorder, or we've talked about it in a separate episode where uh, trauma and and not being able to develop a secure attachment with children can can then lead to a child being diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder, and then there's a there seems to be a correlation between reactive attachment disorder and borderline personality disorder. So what we don't really pay too much attention to or see as like a huge deal, unfortunately, then could lead to something else, which then could lead to an even bigger thing like an SPMI or increased use in in mental health services and almost kind of being dependent on the system of mental health services. That childhood trauma can set people up for just continually, continually needing those services. Mm -hmm. Um, And which leads me to my next point of, uh, it can cause also long-term health problems mm-hmm. uh, like diabetes and, and heart disease. And these kind of are, are more of the downstream effects because mm-hmm. people with trauma are more likely to have substance use disorders, eating disorders, uh, and be on medications. And a lot of our psychiatric medications cause you to gain weight. They can cause metabolic side effects, uh, increase your risk for diabetes and that kind of thing. So um, there are long-term health problems uh, that can result. Um uh, so how do we how do we treat trauma? How do we try and fix the problem here? Um, it's it's not an easy thing. I think prevention is probably going to be the number one thing we can do, and we'll talk a little bit more about prevention strategies later. But um, therapy is probably you know the number one thing you can do. Being in a position to help validate these people and, and normalize what they're going through and say, hey, this was a, a terrible thing that you went through. I'm so sorry. It's not your fault that it's happened, but it's now your responsibility to try and recover and try and and help yourself through this time. Um, change the environment as much as possible for, for these people who have gone through trauma. Uh, I've done a little bit of research into like incentive-based programs where kids growing up in really hectic environments, um, the, the moms and the parents are are given incentives for for being good parents. They're getting parenting strategies, and when they incorporate those skills, they get they get kickbacks, they get rewards for doing those things. And those those sorts of things can be helpful too. Yeah, there's also looking into seeking uh, help from like a primary doctor, social workers, family services. Uh, I think if we look at all the things that can be considered 
childhood trauma or neglect or abuse and um, more looking at trauma because sometimes these things are not done on purpose. Sometimes the family, they're doing the best they can with the resources they have, that they have but it's just not enough. So then there's things like food insecurities or, or housing insecurity and not being able to have that kind of stable environment. So maybe looking into uh, connecting with a social worker who can then in turn connect you to family services and what options are available in the community. Justin touched on it a little bit, but also therapy, um, having someone where a child or a young teenager can connect with somebody that's there for them and can validate their experiences and, and can help them learn, you know, new coping skills or new ways to to deal with what's going on and to new ways to, to figure out how to best handle what's going on. Uh, and occasionally medications can also be helpful, especially when the trauma leads to things like anxiety and PTSD. We found that having the, the right kind of medication can help make those symptoms lessen and in turn can make daily functioning easier. And oftentimes what I tell my pa- my patients is, yeah, medications will, will make this easier to work on and easier to process, but a lot of this stuff has to be done in therapy. A lot of the legwork for getting over this and, 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 getting, and getting past this is going to be in therapy. Mm-hmm. Well, we got a quick little nerd alert for you <laughs> here today. Um, so... One of the things we always like to try and teach you guys about is how these mental health um, issues impact brain development and impact actual brain functioning. So kids exposed to trauma had decrease in spatial working memory, a decreased volumes of gray and white matter in the prefrontal cortex. So that's your executive functioning area. I know we've talked a lot about the prefrontal cortex on the show. You can have cerebellar and cerebral volume loss. One study showed that uh, subjects with PTSD had an 8% smaller brain in total. Also, your corpus callosum, which is like a super highway of nerves going from your left side to your right side of your brain. So it connects your left side and your right side of the brain. Those tend to be smaller in, in kids with PTSD. We're not actually sure what the actual like outcomes or, or, or ramifications of that are, but we do know that the corpus callosum can shrink as well. Um, the longer the abuse happens, the worse the effects on the brain size and development tends to be. So the more abuse, the more your brain is actually impacted from a f- anatomical and physiological standpoint. Some studies have even shown that severe trauma causes death of brain cells. Uh, and we know that because when your brain cells die, they release their contents into the bloodstream and we can find like the insides of your brain cells in your blood. And like, oh, this only is really found in your, your brain cells and it's floating around in your blood. That means your brain cells were destroyed. And oftentimes your hippocampus, so that memory area of your brain can be damaged in long-term exposure to trauma. And this is the area that is for forming new memories. So oftentimes people with PTSD have difficulty with short-term memory, uh, very similar to people with chronic depression. You know, I didn't know that about the finding like brain cells in the blood. That's, that's insane. That's crazy. Um, Yeah kind of on that topic of like the impact that can, it can have on like your brain and functioning. Uh, it's been shown that children exposed to domestic violence have an average of eight points lower IQ score um, than general population. Going off on a different uh path here. Uh, One systematic review showed that girls that have been sexually abused had a higher plasma anti-nuclear antibody, um, 
let me make sure I didn't say that the George Bush way, anti-nuclear antibody test, mm-hmm. uh, which indicates the presence of inflammation and usually is a test we use for autoimmune disorders. Mm-hmm. So trauma can significantly, can cause significant inflammation in the body, uh, which can lead to worsening uh, mental health issues potentially. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the times we say that the children are resilient and, and they can get through this and they can learn, but I think um, that that invalidates you know their experiences so much. You know, only twenty two percent of of kids who experienced abuse or neglect showed higher resilience based um, uh, on rating scales, and I think. Yeah, kids are resilient when we're able to like change the environment around them and give them the things that they need and meet their needs. But it's hard to be resilient when you're continually in the same environment and experiencing the same trauma and neglect and things that you're going through. You're not going to come out resilient. You're gonna you're gonna come out unfortunately damaged. And you know, going back to that point of the twenty two percent, that means that kids, most kids, are negatively affected uh, by trauma and neglect and, and don't actually gain any resilience. Maybe damaged, but reparable. We like to try and emphasize that. And and we can keep going on about all the the different effects that happen to the brain with prolonged trauma. Um, But we'll tell you that even on the in terms of like uh, neurochemicals, uh, we'd like to tell you about like serotonin, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so your serotonin pathway, your norepinephrine or catecholamine pathway, your oxytocin, your cortisol, your stress hormone, they're all affected by childhood trauma. So yeah, it, it literally can shrink your brain and change the way your brain functions from the inside out. So, so trauma has a massive effect on the brain from from top to bottom. Yeah, essentially the brain functions differently when exposed to childhood trauma. This is this is fact. This is something that um we'll get into right now, but this is something that we should um be worrisome about that we should care about and that we should work to fixing as much as possible. So let's jump into some discussion questions. Ed, uh why do you think childhood trauma, child abuse, why do you think it's so common? Yeah. I think I mean there's so much that can be said about it. I mean, we can talk about the, uh, the system and, and family, family services that are available. You know, there's not enough of it to help as many families that need this kind of support, whether it's like housing or food and food insecurity. Uh, we could talk about culturally. I mean, like I said earlier, like, you know, love my parents, shout out mom and dad. Um, but I know that, you know, the, the spanking and like the hitting, it was not the best, right. Is not the best way to handle things. Um, we could talk culturally like that, like as a, as a, a Mexican growing up in a, in a, in a Mexican family, culturally Mexican family. Uh, we can talk about just, societally the same thing like you mentioned corporal punishment and you know we hear stories all the time like oh back in my day like the the nun at school would take out a ruler and hit us right i think a lot of these things have been normalized even things that seem small like uh like spanking or or hitting a little bit those seem so normalized and too just uh we go back to the system part of it of just like people only know what they know. So if they grow up in an environment where like that kind of thing is, is okay. And that thing is, is normalized, then that's something that's normal in their life. And that can be carried on through different like generations and different um, parts of their family. So I feel like I just really talked around that without really giving a good answer, but I think <laughs> there's just so much to it. I mean, I tell my students all the time, it depends, right? Like that, that's always the right answer, but there's just so much, that goes into it. Maybe there's not enough uh, consequences or punishment for people that do abuse and, and cause trauma for kids. Maybe there's not enough resources to to teach people the right way to raise kids and the, to, to teach people the right way to uh, make a 
welcoming a warm family. I mean, there's so much, I think, that could be listed as a reason why it's so prevalent. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's no one answer that's, you know, oh, if we just did X, then, oh, of course, all the child abuse would go away. I did hear one statistic, and I'm not 100% sure on this, and it's a bit of uh, just secondhand hearsay, if you will, Um, but I heard that around 49% of all um, pregnancies in this country are not planned. Um, And just having a a baby in a situation where people aren't ready for it um, could certainly be a reason, like being in a situation where people aren't ready, maybe maybe lower socioeconomic status. and even just like having a baby in your teens makes you at a higher risk for being in a lower socioeconomic status, which also increases your risk for uh, develop or going through or experiencing child abuse. So it's, it's so prevalent. Um, and, and there's no great answers why. Um, some of the things that we can potentially do to prevent child abuse, and this is according to the CDC, and they actually have a pretty good uh, page up on trying to prevent. And some of the things that they recommend is access to birth control, mm-hmm. uh, that preventing those unwanted pregnancies and not bringing children into the world at the wrong time in the wrong place can have a big uh, impact, mm-hmm. like we've been talking about this whole time, reducing spanking. Um, the data really does show that spanking causes uh, negative long-term outcomes. So we, as an official stance, I think uh, Millennial Mental Health Channel will say, no spanking, no more spanking. And the, the CDC also recommends um, just having strong bonds between uh, caregivers and children. That can also reduce uh, chances of, uh, of child abuse. Yeah. Um, we touched on it a little bit also, but the um – the community and the environment has a huge impact on, on how a child grows up. So what are some community protective factors? Well, we'll go back to the CDC. They, they touch, they touch on a lot of it and it's a lot of things that we've mentioned earlier, but access to safe and stable housing, um, high quality of preschool and education, access to childcare, access to after school programs. This is something that I think about um, for me and just thinking how like, fortunate I was I think I touched I feel like I talked about it recently but how just fortunate I was that like my parents were able to like make things work so that I got involved with like sports and did other things after school that like took up my time so I couldn't get into anything else not to say that I would have done x y or z but just I was preoccupied with things and because I had access to that I was able to focus on that and not other things not other things couldn't just have like filled up my time so that i think makes a huge difference uh also access Mm -hmm. to medical and mental health services that's something that especially the mental health services probably both actually just as equally um there's just not enough access. There's so many times where um, people are turned away f- uh, because of insurance. I mean, I just saw like a uh, on the TikTok. Uh, There's one where I saw where uh, this like um, private practice pharmacy or whatever we want to call it, they were distributing COVID vaccines, and there was someone that came in and and we're, it, it was Blue Cross Blue Shield. We're gonna shout you out because we don't like insurances that much here, but they. <laughs> <laughs> the the pharmacist called for like authorization afterwards and they were basically like no like why did you do the you should have sent them away to go get it at like albertson's down the street and they were like 
why would I, why would I have done that? Like, this is what, like, yeah. no, like you, why would I have turned them away? And they're like, well, so that they, you know, cause we're not going to reimburse you like blah, blah, blah. And it's like, bro, like what in the middle of, <laughs> of this pandemic, you're really going to like try to tell a pharmacist that was doing the right thing and administering COVID vaccines right now. And you're going to like, tell them like, no, you should have sent them down the street. Like that's, we can do a whole episode on that, but that's, <laughs> that's another issue and then also access to economic and financial help uh and work on work opportunities with family friendly policies um these are all things that can help to build a uh a community with with a, a bunch of different protective factors and and we wanted to emphasize those a lot too and that's all cdc based evidence based stuff and I think one of the things we like to try and do for our listeners is is encourage you to try and vote for these social programs, vote for the types of things that are going to help keep kids safe um, and vote for them specifically and as much as you can uh, to be implemented in areas of your cities where there is low socioeconomic uh, classes, where people really do need these programs mm-hmm. um, to keep kids safe and keep kids healthy. That is just, that's our goal. We just want to keep kids safe and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of people um, who listen to the show who work in healthcare too. Uh, and you know, sometimes people who go through trauma have trust issues too. Mm-hmm. Um so that can be one of the things that's really difficult for providers mm-hmm. uh, is like is getting over those trust issues or working through them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we just want to encourage uh, healthcare workers out there to keep going, try and understand that that trauma predisposes these these young people and uh, adults who have uh, went through childhood trauma. It's harder for them to connect, but that doesn't mean you should just like give up and, and let them go. And I'm, I'm not saying you guys do that, but just keep keep working on it and yeah. keep working through those trust issues. Yeah. I know a number of times where uh, I know one of the hardest parts where I left my last job was having to meet with my clients who I knew had like significant trauma backgrounds or were like in the foster system and having to explain to them that like, I'm not leaving because of you. I'm not leaving because of anything related to you. And I now have these next, you know, few weeks to try to work through like, what can I do to let you know that just because I'm leaving does not mean that everyone else is going to leave and trying to work through those things. And, um, thankfully it went relatively well. And I think because like I focused a lot on trust early on with these kids, um, but yeah, I mean, just other considerations to have that we don't normally think about. One of our favorite parts of the show is always telling you about uh, celebrities, famous people who have gone through the topic of the day. Mm-hmm. First one I want to start off with is Keanu Reeves. Um, he actually went through a significant amount of childhood trauma. His father left when he was six years old. His sister actually developed leukemia. He had dyslexia. And his brother died, uh, River Phoenix, of a drug overdose. Um Keanu Reeves actually had a stillborn child uh, when he was pretty young, and his girlfriend ended up passing away in a car accident. So he went through a ton of trauma mm. uh, that he had to overcome in his lifetime. I'm always appreciative of like um, celebrities or, or high status people who are able to like share these experiences and, and be open about it because I think it helps to 
to normalize that these are things that um, can be worked on and worked through. And I think that's an important reminder. Um, there's also Nicki Minaj. She's, um, I believe, talked about like her father was using and selling drugs when she was younger. She grew up in a neighborhood with with high rates of substance use. She was a witness to domestic violence. Uh, and she, she watched her dad light the house on fire with her mother still inside, like a huge traumatic event. Uh, another one that I know talked about, I think he, he used his, his music a lot to talk about it and has been very open about it, it was 50 Cent. Uh, his mom was only 15 when she had him. She was dealing drugs at the time to survive. He had to try to figure out, you know, what what his role was in his life and how to make things work. You know, his his uh, he's witnessed his mom being drug gassed and burned when he was only eight years old. He sold crack and sold drugs at a young age. He had a gun at age 12, like all things that you don't expect someone so young to experience. But he was able to, to work through it and get past it. And I think that's something that definitely shows up in his music that he talks about. Yeah, Fiddy was was actually just in Omaha. He was selling his uh, his new liquor brand at a at a grocery store. So shout out Fiddy. Why not? <laughs> He's um, definitely someone who's he has uh, put his hands in a lot of different things. Like really, like expanded his portfolio. That's something that I've seen a lot. Like I think um, yeah. was it was it like body armor or something or or vitamin water? I remember there was like an interview I saw where like people were. He said like people made fun of him for like um, investing in something and like it. Not, and like, oh, that's so dumb. But then it ended up like working out and like really making him a lot of money and helping him continue to be successful. So I think that, that's great for him. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Fifty Cent, but he is a very interesting guy. Yeah. <laughs> there was one point when he was trying to dip his uh, hand or dip his toe into more acting, mm. and he was actually going to play a character who had, uh, I think it was either cancer or AIDS, and so he lost like an ungodly amount of weight to try and oh, for yeah. this for this role, and then they canceled the movie, and so <laughs> it was like all for nothing. I was like, poor guy yeah. to put himself through that much. Um, Moving on from 50 Cent, I'm sure we'll come back to it later. Um, but another one that uh, had a big impact on me because I always watched with my mom growing up was Oprah. Um, Oprah actually grew up in poverty. Uh, her parents were teenagers when they had her and they split up when she was a baby. Uh, she was actually molested by her male relatives after she was sent to live with her grandmother for a while. She started actually doing drugs uh, pretty young and ended up having a, a baby herself at age 14. Um, and the baby didn't live that long. Uh, so it, it died pretty young. And she was, I mean, she was 14 years old when all this happened. Yeah. So she did, went through a significant amount of trauma. Yeah. And then another uh, another one that's pretty close to me, who I kind of consider a childhood hero, is Jim Carrey. Uh, his dad lost his job as an accountant up in Canada uh, when he was growing up um, and moved the family into a tire factory, you know, like a, a little apartment in a tire factory. Um, and he worked at that tire factory too after losing that job. Uh, so Jim Carrey actually ended up homeless for a while after that. Uh, and him and the family lived out of a van. So yeah, it's, you see these kinds of things. Um, and you see one of the things we always like to emphasize too, is you see these highly successful, highly intelligent, highly motivated people who have gone through some really terrible things. So we like to try and you know, really preach that message of you don't have to let this stuff hold you back. Mm -hmm. In fact, it can become something that strengthens you mm -hmm. and, and, and teaches you a lot of life, life lessons. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think too, when I emphasize the, like, um, it's not 
the final say, like going through and having to experience, not having to, but having experienced these traumas or significant events in your life don't, doesn't have to be the very last thing. Like there's still things that can be done, help that can be given to help put you in, in the right direction and, and move in, in the right way to help fix some things uh, that you've experienced. Um, I know today was, was some, some heavy stuff, heavy topic. We, we appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate you guys giving us an opportunity to just talk about something that's important to us to, to highlight because it is something that, that just happens way too often. Child abuse, neglect, trauma, childhood trauma. It just it comes up, I think, far too often. It should never come up, but it just comes up so often and it, it feels like it's not addressed enough or talked about enough or, or really given the attention that it deserves. We fight these things. We combat child abuse and neglect by funding social programs. Uh, and I'm going to stay on my soapbox here for a minute. And so I know I said it earlier, but you know, money up front for these social programs is like an investment. You know, a lot of times politicians will frame it as like, this is handouts to people. This is you know, free money. We can't just be giving everyone all this free childcare, daycare, social programs. But at the same time, it saves money on the back end because they have they don't have to utilize as many health services. They don't have as many problems as a result. So it's an investment. So if money up front, investing in people's futures, investing in their uh, in their families can really help and go a long way in terms of a societal perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then if if you come in contact with a child who's struggling, or if you work with someone, or you you're given a patient or a client and realize that you're struggling, that they're struggling, please consider taking them uh, to see someone or, or doing whatever you can in your power to, to help them out as much as possible to connect them with the right resources. Even if it's something as small as getting a kid a folder for school or, or getting them something that could be useful to them. I think it, it's so important that we consider doing those things. Uh, again, thank you guys so much for listening. You know, this is typically where we tell you guys to like subscribe, all that stuff. We don't need to do that today. We just appreciate you guys listening to, to this important mm-hmm. message. So As always, take care of y'all mentals. One more thing before we go. If you're having any thoughts of harming yourself or harming others, please reach out for help. Call 911, go to the emergency room, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Thanks for listening.